So you're going to be a starving artist. Have you considered something more, you know, practical? How will you make money? Why not get an MBA instead? We've all heard it before. Your family's well-meaning pleas with you to ditch your art and find something practical to pursue in your career, whatever that means. During practical advice for impractical pursuits, students in MSU's Arts, Cultural Management, and Museum Studies program will explore stories from industry professionals across arts and culture, arming you with all the knowledge you need to not just make it, but thrive. I am your host, Katie MacArthur. I am a third-year stage management student in the Department of Theater at Michigan State University, with a focus in theater education, advocacy, and inclusivity. I work to create theater for and with people who are neurodiverse. And in today's episode, we will be exploring the realities of putting accessible theater on Zoom. I will be talking with two guests on their unique experience during the pandemic. Our first guest is Shelby Epic, who will be talking about Open Spot Theater Company. My name is Shelby Epic. Uh, I am a recent graduate of Michigan State University with a BFA in stage management. Um, currently, I'm in the East Lansing area. Uh, I am a wedding coordinator currently and uh, working with Open Spot Theater virtually and a bunch of different other things. Awesome. Thanks for being here, Shelby. Can you tell us a little bit about what Open Spot is? Open Spot is an organization founded by Katie Mann and Annie Clark, uh, originally Fourth Wall Theater. It's theater for all. There's an open spot for all, right? And um, we try to make theater accessible to people with different disabilities, and we try to incorporate as many as we possibly can. We work with a wide range of students. Our most common disability that we find to be is on the autism spectrum disorder. Um, we work with students with cerebral palsy. Uh, we have Down syndrome students. And can you tell me what a typical open spot day would look like pre-pandemic? When we were in person, uh, we kind of sat down with the students. We introduced each other, kind of made sure we had everybody's names down. We learned something special about them every day, like what your favorite flavor of ice cream was or your favorite animal. We then move into our three parts of theater, uh, learning about the acting, singing, and dancing sides of theater. And then we talk about our three rules, which are a company-wide establishment of be safe, be brave, and always be respectful. Um, and we try to give examples of those to the students so that they can portray those ideas in class. And then uh, from there, we kind of do a bunch of different things. While working with MSU specifically, we get to develop a brand new script off of the characters the kids wanted to portray, um, and also taught them a, a song in sign language. And then uh, I would curate dances to kind of teach them and move the show along as well. And what's it like seeing how theater impacts these kids? It's mind-boggling. It's just an honor to like be a part of that process and to engage with them in a different level that a lot of people don't have the patience and or time and ability to engage with them. And, and as soon as you give them the opportunity to shine, they'll shine brighter than any star you've ever seen. That's amazing. So obviously we're in a different world right now. So how has Open Spot adapted during the pandemic? You know, this came from a place of not everybody knowing exactly what to do when it came to online formats and how to adapt. And so when we started moving Open Spot to a virtual 
you know, a virtual concept. We started with the Facebook lives and we would do one every Monday and Thursday morning. We'd wake up and somebody would offer to just kind of go with the flow and teach a Facebook live class. Um, and the kids really responded well to them and they got a lot of great feedback that was like, let's figure out how to do this in class style. And so, you know, it was up to you to kind of take the reins from there and figure out how to be the best virtual teacher you could be on a format that was kind of new-ish to everybody. Putting this all on Zoom, though, is really difficult. I mean, why why didn't OpenSpot just say, you know, this is really an unprecedented time. We're going to take a break until everyone's safe and healthy and we can come back together after coronavirus is over. What really pushed you guys to continue working and to put this in a Zoom format? Yeah, that's just, that's just not an option. Like, <laughs> we we are the people that they look to, to feel inspired, to feel like they have their own voice. Um, And to take that away from them just, you know, wasn't an option for anybody who works with OpenSpot. So obviously things have changed since you've been teaching since the summer. So how have your classes grown and adapted as you have continued to teach this way? Um, Has it gotten any easier? I mean, I don't know that it ever got easier. We were constantly learning something new. Trying to format these changes was never never really got easier. Um, so we had our first section of class and it was great. It was a little bit of a smaller script, um, you know, fewer people, which was a good intro. Mm-hmm. And so then we took that information and kind of spread it to all the uh, other instructors that are teaching different classes. This is a big community-wide effort. This isn't like to each their own, right? We're trying to make this most accessible to them. Whatever that took from us, that meant just the most amount of teamwork I've ever seen from a company in general. So ultimately, this is no easy task, but what are some things that have helped you along the way in creating this? Definitely just the, you know, taking your time. Um, Having the patience is just something that's critical in real life, but more so online. Mm-hmm. Um, so just taking your time, doing the research, like you know, look up different, look up different forums because any information is helpful, you know, and you can sort out once you have all this information of what works for you and what works for somebody else, because everybody is different. Every, every session is different. Like, you know, it, it's just a big trial and error that the whole world is kind of going through. So my biggest, I guess, tick, like trick is just to take your time. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to try new things as well. Do you see a future for continuing this type of format after COVID-19? And like, are there any particular benefits to to this for your students? Um, I definitely see this continuing. People will want to go back to in-person structure. But, you know, at the same time, I don't mind doing the online format. I definitely think that this is going to continue. I don't think that this is going anywhere anytime soon. And that's something that we just need to kind of embrace and figure out how to move forward best with it. And I think even for my students, like, I definitely think it'll benefit them at the end of the day, because this is learning so many different parts of technology for them too, you know, like, we're, we're taking the time for them to be seen on camera. They can figure out their frame and, you know, figure out, oh, if I stand back too far, you can't see me. But if I stand at a great angle and you can see my face, you can see my whole body, you can see me dance. Like, that's just very important for them yeah. to understand just because it, it taught them something new, too. You know, my student that we finally started adapting to and he was, you know, started he stopped speaking like when we were, you know, in this quarantine because he just didn't understand the world around him. And so when yeah. we finally started getting him on some Zoom calls, 
you know, it took him a while, but then there was like one day, I'll never forget it. I was at the pool and <laughs> I get a text that was like, you need to come on Zoom right now. Like <laughs> you need to encourage him to say something. And I, I got right on Zoom. I was like, hello, sir. Like, let's, let's talk. And he was like, oh yeah, let's talk. <laughs> and like, you know, that was just so amazing to like see and understand that like, he has a support system and to see it, like to see my face was helpful to him. And that like definitely made my whole year. Uh, like that was just so painful to me because this is some people saving grace. Like theater is a saving grace for so many people and you were just without it right now. You know, the whole theater community is just without, without the art form. And so yeah. if you think it's important to us, like it's so important to them and it just needs to be more accessible in general. Like, especially when COVID is, when the COVID time is over, yeah, theater needs to become more accessible as a whole. But the fact that we have this going is a step towards creating that. Yes, that is so true. Thank you so much for being on my podcast, Shelby. I really appreciate all of your fabulous insight. Yeah, thanks for asking me. My next guest is Kevin Mazur, who I work closely with on Michigan State University's devised musical for neurodiverse children, Soda Pop Shop. Kevin is a current actor in the piece, and I am the current stage manager. Hi, Kevin. Hi, everyone. My name is Kevin Mazur, and I am currently a senior BFA actor at Michigan State University. Uh, my focuses are usually in musical theater and in theater education, specifically in creating theater for people who are neurodiverse. We're going to talk a little bit about the process of Soda Pop Shop, which is a show, a devised show for neurodiverse students that Kevin helped write. If you want to talk a little bit about that, Kevin. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been a part of Soda Pop Shop since the beginning of it. There was a, a theater a children's theater class that happened through MSU my sophomore year. So I enrolled in that and helped be a part of the creative process of putting it on its feet for the first time, doing working drafts, changing music, changing choreography, building sets, costumes, and just creating the whole social narrative of it all. And since then, um, I've been a part of putting it together to do a tour of it and now doing it in a fully virtual form. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about what Soda Pop Shop is. Absolutely. So Soda Pop Shop is a musical experience written specifically for people who are neurodiverse. Um, the way we incorporate the audience through um, integrating physical touch, integrating um, smells, we do a lot of audience participation, and it's it's less about a narrative and more about creating this through line of an experience of being at this 1950s soda pop shop and bringing that to various degrees of audiences. And Kevin, what is your role in soda pop shop? So besides being a part of the creative team, I play the role of the jitterbug. Jitterbug is um, a wonderful young bug who just happens to have a lot of anxiety and a lot of uh, fears around big groups of people and loud noises and chaos. So throughout the story, um, we do a lot of different activities to help calm down Jitterbug through deep breaths, through singing, dancing, playing games, asking the audience, various levels of how different people cope with their own anxieties. 
Yeah, and that's pretty much the only sort of plot point we really have in the show. And the rest of it is kind of centered around environment and the elements that we can incorporate our audience with to get them connected with our characters and with the show. And typically in a regular setting, um, we would tour this show to local schools and perform this show for the neurodiverse students at the school. And obviously that has changed. So that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. We have decided that rather than just postponing this and waiting until coronavirus is over, we are adapting it to be fully on Zoom. And it's been quite the process, um, as I can say, from working on the tech side of things and Kevin can say working from the actor side of things. So we're just going to talk a little bit about that process and what it's been like. So Kevin, as an actor... What has your perspective been like putting this on Zoom? It's it's definitely been a very eye-opening experience. It's eye-opening, to say the least, for obviously many different reasons, as an actor figuring out how I can translate a character that was built for the stage to be viewed virtually. And then from an actor standpoint, as for performing it, there, the varying degrees of technological issues and miracles and so many different things that we've overcome and worked with together as an ensemble has been really inspiring to say, no matter what we're doing, we're in this together, we can make this happen. Yeah, and it's totally been, um, we're currently in the rehearsal process and upcoming, we're going to be doing a couple workshop performances and then we'll, we will be performing all next semester once we get together again. I can talk from the technical side of you. We, we basically started by and saying, how are we going to do this? Do we have to change our script and how much of it do we have to change? Because at the core of our show is audience interaction and creating that scene over zoom has been difficult basically what we've created is uh an entire an entirely online experience with music with props with interactive elements um kevin do you want to talk a little bit about how some of those elements have translated onto zoom i think one of the newest things that we've incorporated in this version is it's become more of an all-around ensemble piece from the actors in order to get the audience participation. Um, it's not necessarily narrative-focused. It's never really been focused all about the narrative, but now it's a lot more geared toward audience participation, especially because so much of this show and this work is, I would say 50% of the show ends up being improv just because we never know what's going to happen with students and what's going to happen with technology. Agreed. So the way that we can all just take the improv and take the energy of it's a completely fresh experience every time we run it is really interesting. And you never know what some of the students are going to say. There'll be times where you'll ask them what their favorite smell is and they'll say running water and we just have to run with it. You just have to be able to pick up on the cues and keep the audience engaged and just roll with every sort of punch you get. Yeah. And I mean, that's exactly how it was in person. And it's some, it's actually genuinely very refreshing that we, although we've overcome, you know, a lot of the technological challenges at its core, our show is really the same. Katie, do you see any, or do you feel like there's been any benefits to having switched to an online, like, do you see any growth from the show that you hadn't seen previously? Well, like you said earlier, our show has 
become even more interactive than it was when we were in person by adding elements that will keep people interested in front of a computer. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting having worked on other projects with Katie. In certain instances with students, especially ones that are a bit more introverted geared, having this separation between screens allows students to feel safer. It allows them to open up in a different way than it does when everyone is in the same room. Yes, you sort of lose the energy of being all together, but you you have this really new, interesting revelation of, I feel like I'm in the comfort of my own living room so I can open up and be goofy and I can be a chicken and I can sing a song and do a dance without the feeling of being judged like you are on stage. And we also in our show in Elvin where we ask them to explore their own homes to find things that relate to our show, which I think is really interesting and really ties their space to ours, even on an online format. I think one really interesting quote that has sort of come about with the theater for young audiences community, especially in creating shows for people who are neurodiverse, is the idea that there's nothing about us without us. And I think that's something that Soda Pop Shop does really well, is we place the students at the heart of the narrative, putting them basically on stage in the story, allowing them to take their own liberties with what happens. It's really, really interesting. Even though many of us are neurotypical, you know, we really try to formulate these characters where they can see themselves in, say, Jitterbug. Or in Barfly, who might not remember what to say after she burps. It's something as simple as that, but it it creates such a connection between the characters and the audience members. We almost had to make the show simpler. We had yeah. to make it easier to digest and more about the interaction because there was less props, less costumes, less environment to get connected to, less face-to-face eye contact. So we had to make the show simpler. And I think it's brought out the best elements of the show. Absolutely. And it's really great that this semester has been a lot of workshops. And then next semester is going to be a lot more performing of the show. But even then, I know Things are still going to change. We're still going to be making adjustments. Yes, I think that, um, you know, we haven't gotten to the phase yet where we're necessarily performing in front of people. And I think that when that time comes, there will be an entire new element that we have to digest and understand. And I'm excited for it because we adapt so well. Okay, thanks for this great conversation, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Um, Thanks for coming on my my little podcast here. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. And for any listeners out there who are interested in being a part of Sensibility Ensemble, interested in learning more about Soda Pop Shop, please talk to Katie about this. We are so passionate and we love talking about this. Thank you all for joining me on today's episode. There is work yet to be done, but these stories of perseverance through a pandemic and endless strides towards inclusivity are inspiring. If you would like to learn more about Soda Pop Shop, contact me or visit theater.msu.edu forward slash Soda Pop. And if you would like to learn more about Open Spot Theater, you can find them on Instagram at Open Spot Detroit, Facebook as Open Spot Theater, or on their website, openspottheater.com. This has been Practical Advice for Impractical Pursuits, a Michigan State University Arts, Cultural Management, and Museum Studies podcast. 
Thank you to our program director, K.F. Latham, and the Michigan State University College of Arts and Letters for supporting this project. The opinions expressed on this program do not reflect official entities of Michigan State University. To hear more episodes and learn how Michigan State is training future arts administrators to manage with compassion and care, visit artsmuseumsmanagement.cal.msu.edu forward slash podcast.